Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, there is no equal to your name, and your word, your name, is synonymous with your character, with your existence. When we speak of your name, we speak of who you are. And as we listen to you teach us, Jesus, help us to have the wisdom and the obedience and the open heart for your glory and our good to do what you've asked, taught, and told us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning. What a morning, huh? You coming back at 5.30? A little less of me and a whole lot more of the kids. Is that the general feeling this morning? I wouldn't blame you. Thank you for sparing my feelings. You can open your Bibles in the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the seats near you. Please help yourself. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it home with you. Take as many as you like today, as many as, as you can share with others. And we will be in the Gospel of Luke. I've recently recommitted myself to getting out of bed and moving with purpose in the morning. And music helps, and I've discovered that something else, for my mood at least, most mornings helps even more, especially if it's kind of a longer, slower workout, I've discovered the value of podcasts. Podcasts are just an amazing little piece of technology that lets you listen to practically any expert, any speaker, any interesting person in the world. And my new favorite is a guy who's leveraged his own considerable success to get interviews with people at the top of their profession or vocation, whatever they're doing. And the interviews basically consist week after week of asking them, how do you do it? Talking to an ultramarathoner, how in the world do you run 100 miles at once? Talking to a great interviewer and biographer, how is it that you get people to tell you these things? If he's talking to an investor, he'll ask him what his story is, what sort of childhood he had, and what is it that gives him this insight, this genius into investing and making money for himself and for his clients. It's kind of a, if you want to use a 21st century term, it's kind of a life hacks style podcast, if you're familiar with that term. And it got me thinking about what I and people I know might ask Jesus, given the opportunity. You ever thought about it? If you could physically sit across from God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, what would you ask him? Because he knows everything. He can do anything. Given one question, what would you ask? Well, I don't have to wonder what the people who knew him best on earth would do about that. In Luke chapter 11, we drop into the life of Jesus, and he is well on his way to the cross now. His ministry is mature, and he is headed with purpose now to Jerusalem, knowing full well that everything that's written in this Bible even 700 and 1,000 years earlier, is now going to be fulfilled, and he's on his way to die for our sins. And the disciples have had this amazing, never-again-repeated opportunity to see God in the flesh doing what God alone can do. And look what they ask him, Luke 11, verse 1. 
It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to do what? One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John, that's John the Baptist, taught his disciples. Today we're going to learn how to pray from Jesus himself. And understand, what Jesus is teaching you is not ritual. It should be a habit, and I'm going to show you a little bit of why I think you should have a routine and why that's important and very, very practical. But what the disciples are actually asking after observing everything that Jesus has done, they admire, they're impressed with his life. He has a life with God that completely knocks them over. And what they're asking is, teach us to talk to God the way you do. We're your disciples, we're your followers, and this day, communities of faith would have a community prayer, something that distinguished them and set them apart, and a prayer that would say what sort of people they were, what they were about. That's why I said, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples. And then Jesus kindly teaches them to pray. And what follows is the Lord's Prayer. You're very familiar with it. You may not be as familiar with this version. There's a longer, fuller prayer in Matthew's Gospel in the famous Sermon on the Mount. Why are they different? Because Jesus taught this more than once. This was not not an isolated, drive-by sort of incident. On different occasions, he taught people to pray because it was so important. You understand, these disciples had either personally witnessed or certainly by now knew what prayer meant to Jesus. They had seen time and again what we're told here in passing in Luke's gospel. They continually saw Jesus going off by himself to pray alone. And then they saw him emerge from those encounters and say and do extraordinary things. Perhaps they had been told that when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him and the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son, perhaps they were told that he was praying as he came up out of the water. Perhaps they remembered that on one of the busiest days of his ministry, after overwhelming success, Jesus got up while it was still dark and went alone to pray to the Father, and from there reordered his priorities and moved on, even though the people that he had so blessed with so many miracles wanted him to keep back and wanted him to come back and keep going. They certainly remembered, and just before in Luke's gospel, they had seen Jesus were told, rejoice in prayer. In other words, they had seen him speak to his father with great joy. They had seen, in other words, a life, a relationship that was so amazing, so extraordinary, so life-giving that they're basically saying, let us in. So Jesus taught them. And we'll just go phrase by phrase through what we call the Lord's Prayer. Look at verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say. Here's the first lesson. It's so obvious, but so important. Without this one, nothing else matters. In your prayer life, first of all, make sure you actually pray. Jesus said, when you pray, it's a given. It should be something that is as normal to you if you're walking with Jesus as breathing, but it's not, is it? 
I don't think I've talked to too many Christians ever who feel great about their prayer life. They feel guilty that they don't pray as they should. They wonder why answers don't come. They're embarrassed by the distractions that crowd into their minds. Is this making sense to anybody, or am I up here confessing all my own stuff? (laughs) It's normal. It's difficult. It's a struggle. And Jesus says, first of all, make sure that you pray. When you pray, here's how to do it. And from my own experience, here are some things I've learned. You have to distinguish prayer from everything else that comes along with prayer and that stands in the way of prayer. For instance, I don't know if you've noticed, worrying isn't actually praying. A lot of times, Christians spend a tremendous amount of energy worrying about something, but if they think clearly, they'll discover they've never actually prayed about it. They're just ruminating. They're just thinking about it. See, in prayer, you speak to God. When you worry, who do you talk to? Yourself. You're bad company when you're that miserable and upset. And you just get lost in your own head. Planning isn't worrying either. Working at it isn't prayer either. A.J. Gordon, a great Christian of a generation ago, said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. You get it? Of course you can and should do more after you pray, but there's nothing more important, nothing more essential, nothing you do matters until you pray, until you bring God into the situation consciously mentally, emotionally, through prayer. Jesus also told us to pray privately and to pray with others. He said to them, he said to them as a group, when you pray, plural, say, and notice all the plurals in the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. He's teaching them how to pray as a group. So how should you pray? You should pray privately, and you should also pray with others. Jesus did. Jesus always began with the Father, but He prayed in front of people. He prayed to teach prayer. He prayed to ask the blessing of God into specific situations, and He didn't have the slightest embarrassment of praying with others and in front of others, and neither should you. The only caution Jesus told us in the teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount is praying in order to be seen by other people. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. We've offered public prayer this morning where the trouble starts is when you pray so that others will be impressed. That's not prayer, that's showboating. And if this is a personal relationship, imagine how offensive it is to God when a pastor in particular speaks to him, but he's not really talking to him. He's choosing his words, his attitudes, and even his facial expressions carefully so that other people listening might be impressed. That's not prayer. But you pray privately, and you pray with others. Jesus said, when you pray, say. And for this reason, many, many Christians for generations from the very beginning of Christianity have literally prayed these very words back to God. Anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Jesus told us to pray with these words. The trouble is, as he explained also in Matthew's gospel, if you babble on, if you think that piling the words up is going to make a difference, 
That's foolishness and that is forbidden. But if you, like me, have a mind that has a hard time settling down and getting to prayer, you might want to start your prayer about yourself with your details and your specifics, as I'll show you. You might want to start with the very prayer that Jesus taught you. Because what follows here is a model. It's a frame. I'm going to show you a little outline that was written by a pastor I admire, Dr. Robbie Gallaty. His own words, he's outlined this prayer line by line, and you'll see that all of life fits in it. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. That's a word of praise. And the, mo- the, mo- the greatest thing you have to praise God about is the first word. What is the first word that Jesus taught us to pray? Father. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are not merely addressing the King and the Creator of all of life. You are addressing your Heavenly Father. So what this prayer is going to show you is this. Number three, pray about everything with God ruling over all of it. God welcomes you, and there are other scriptures that tell you things like this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. There is absolutely nothing that you cannot bring to your heavenly Father because He already knows it all. There's a little attitudinal adjustment that we have to to turn the corner in our thinking. A very Western kind of sort of thinking is this. If God already knows everything, why tell Him anything? You ever struggled with that? Here's a more Christian, and frankly, from that side of the world thinking, it's the same facts, it's a different attitude. Since God already knows everything, I can tell Him anything. Those of you who are parents, this will make a lot of sense to you. Sometimes you know your kid's in trouble. You know all about it. You saw it coming, you warned them about it, they landed themselves in trouble, now they're hurt, now they're embarrassed. And they're too embarrassed to come and tell you about it. What do you want as a mom or a dad in that moment? You want that kid to open up. And you can say, I know, buddy. I know. And welcome them into your loving arms. And that's what this is about. You start with praise because you have a Father in heaven who loves you. Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It's a very old word and it escapes most of us. But to hallow something means to revere it, to treat it as holy. And every one of these lines of prayer that Jesus taught us is a request to God. First, Father, hallowed be your name. May your name, may who you are be understood and kept holy. Let me ask you, in the day and age in which we live, is the name of God treated with reverence and respect? No, it's a swear word. It's a joke. It's an invocation often for curses on other people. Jesus says, I know you, and these men, because of their trust in me, relate to you as their father. First, your own name should be kept holy. That's praise. Your kingdom come. What's that about? Well, I don't know if you've noticed. God rules over everything. 
He is the king. His kingdom rules. He's in charge of everything. But with a God in heaven who rules over everything, every single one of us is busy with our own little empire. Have you noticed? Everybody's just doing their own thing. This is a word not of praise, but of purpose now. When I come to my heavenly Father, when I say to Him, your kingdom come, I'm reminded that I am a child in a family and a citizen in a kingdom, and I'm not the king. One of the current cancers in the United States in our civic and political and just day-to-day life together is that everyone behaves as a tyrant. And nobody wants to follow, and everybody wants to lead, and everybody wants to build their own little kingdom on earth. This word of praise first then leads to a very humbling request for purpose. And the idea is that God's purpose, that His kingdom will come, that He will rule, that His values, His truth, His love, His character will someday be in charge of everything and everyone, that should be my priority. And when I pray like this first thing in the morning, It puts my stuff in perspective. My agenda, my schedule, my worries, my angers, my fears, all of those things come under the heading of the purpose and the kingdom of God Himself. And you notice how vertical this is to start with. Father, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come. You start with Him. You start with reverence. He is eager to hear your petitions. The very next line says as much. He wants to hear what you want. He wants to hear your cares and your concerns. You're told in this Bible, His Word, over and over again, not to bear your own burdens, but to throw your worries and your concerns and your troubles on Him, and He will gladly take them. But that's not where you start. You start with Him. Years ago, I used to sit right over there. We had one of the godliest men I've ever met, Harry Brewer, was part of this church. And for those of you who have been here for a long time, sometimes Harry, for some reason or another in a service, would have the opportunity to pray aloud. And when Harry Brewer prayed aloud, whether it was at a table at Marie Callender's or here in the public worship service, there was this pause when Harry was invited to pray And then when Harry started speaking to God, the atmosphere in that room changed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So as a young seminarian many years ago, I asked him, Harry, when you pray, there's just something different that I can't put my finger on it, but something's happening. What's going on? Gave me some of the best prayer advice I've ever heard in my life. He said, Bruce, before I start speaking aloud to God, I take a moment to quiet myself and to remember who I'm talking to. I have the privilege of speaking now to the creator of the universe. He's in charge of everything. He gave me life. He sent his son for me. And he's my heavenly Father, and I have the privilege of speaking to Him. So first, I'm paraphrasing a conversation from many years ago, but I remember it distinctly. First, I remember who I'm talking to. That's straight out of the teaching of Jesus. And then it comes down to us and to our daily needs. Look at verse 3. Jesus taught us to pray, give us each day our 
daily bread. What's this about? This is His provision because God takes care of me day by day. Now, Jesus taught us to pray individually and collectively. Give us what now? How many days? Don't you wish it were by week? Give us each quarter our necessary bread. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You ever wonder why He taught us to pray for daily bread, and bread here stands in for all food, every kind of provision, everything that people need? What might happen if He took 2018 and just showed you from the beginning everything that He will provide, and just told you on January 1st, here's all the stuff, here's all the money, here's all the food, here's all the entertainment, here's all the blessings, here's all the health, here's everything I'm going to give you. This year, you're going to be fine. What might happen to you and your relationship with God? I don't know about you, I might tend to ignore him. When I was a kid, I was about 13 years old, and I wanted to date this girl. And since I was 13, of course, I didn't have access to a car. Well, not legally. You know, my parents disapproved of me sneaking off with mom's Chrysler Cordoba, which was not exactly a chick magnet anyway, if you remember the Chrysler Cordoba. Big old rosewood colored boat. But it dawned to me, her house being two and a half miles away, that I could, you know, get my bike, which I'd ignored for about three years, I could get my bike fixed up and kind of cycle over there and maybe circle outside the house hoping that she'd come out. Most stalkerish thing you've ever seen in your life, right? But, but that was the plan. I had a red bike from Sears, and I thought I looked pretty good on it, particularly in that denim jacket. And I'd just kind of ride, maybe stand up on the pedals and circle the house. But the bike was a mess because I'd ignored it for three years. So I, never telling my dad the real priorities, I said, I, Dad, I need to get in shape. You know, it'd be nice to have a little more mobility. Can we get the bike fixed? And for a long time, for weeks, we worked getting that bike tipped up. As soon as the bike was fixed, all that time with my father, gone. Thanks, Dad. See ya. And he never saw me again, at least until about nine months later, the girl made it really clear she was tired of uh, my routine circling her house. And no, she was certainly not going to ride the handlebars. <laughs> I just, I wanted to be close to my father only as long as he could help me with something. The minute he did, I wandered away into my own interests. God knows his kids' hearts. And while many of us grow to a point of spiritual maturity where we need Him and we seek Him daily, He understands that as we develop spiritually, not all of us are there yet. So He teaches us to pray for things daily to keep us close. Verse 4 says, and forgive us our sins. And this one comes with another sentence. This one comes with a responsibility for us. Father, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. What is this? This is pardon. God wants us to ask for forgiveness on a daily basis. There is praise. Our Father, hallowed be your name. There's priority. Your kingdom come. There's provision. Give us each day our daily bread. And there's a need for forgiveness or pardon. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The idea is here, I daily ask God for His forgiveness, and I daily tell Him, in the view of all that grace He's now going to give me, 
Father, I will now give to others what you have freely and sacrificially given to me. Why is this request alone come with a condition or a responsibility? Because forgiveness is the first thing we start refusing other people. And the moment you start forgiving someone else forgiveness, your life will be embittered and you will be ruined. I'm telling you on the basis of over 20 years of pastoring, the single greatest killer of Christians in the world is not some big scandalous sin. Yes, those big lurid ugly things that people gossip about, those ruin people too, but not nearly as many as the quiet sin of unforgiveness which always leads to bitterness. And it chokes off your own relationship with God because you cannot continually be in the presence of the greatest forgiver while refusing to forgive the people around you who have certainly sinned against you less than you have sinned against him. This is a daily importance, a daily reminder of the importance of love in the relationship that God will refresh it and renew it with his forgiveness so long as you ask. And the last line in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. This is a request for protection. Into temptation. In other words, keep us out of the kind of temptation that would do us harm, take us down, get us away from loving and trusting you. I was in Boston this week, every year, and I thank you for the privilege. I, I go to Boston and spend four days with Bible college students, and for people who like to pick on millennials, let me tell you, this new generation gives me so much hope. Every year, those four days I spend with these kids who could now most of them be my own children, I'm so impressed and so encouraged by what God is doing in the next generation. But since I flew two ways, this no fun, red eye on the way out, get off the plane at 5.30, start teaching at 7.30. There is absolutely no guarantee that there's any value in that first day of teaching, right? And then on the way back, a late arrival into Long Beach. And it's the funniest thing. The minute you start traveling, everybody says things like this, have a safe trip, including the people who are on your plane with you. I met a chatty guy, I'm a chatty guy, and I met another chatty guy in Logan right before flying to Long Beach, and we made about three, a three-minute friendship, and he said, have a safe flight, brother. And I thought, I'm pretty sure whatever happens to me is also likely going to be happening to you, right? <laughs> You're in 10, I'm in 16D, I'm pretty sure whatever happens, we're just going to live through it together. But especially when traveling and especially when flying, because the stakes are high, right? You can blow a tire, but if you blow a wing, it's, it's over, right? There's always this wish for personal, and personal physical protection. May I tell you that as much as God cares about that, as much as that matters, and it's perfectly legitimate and you should ask Him for that every day of your life, this is a little different. Lead us not into temptation because... You can be physically safe and spiritually vulnerable and have your life ruined. Parents, if you're stopping short and praying just for your kids to make it physically safe through the day, you're stopping well short of the best that God has for them. A child who is physically safe and spiritually vulnerable can break your heart and ruin their lives forever. 
This last prayer is a reminder from Jesus. We're not praying in the living room in calm here. We're praying on the front room and the team room before we go out to battle. There's real risks out there. There is a tempter. There is sin and flesh and the devil, and there are all kinds of things that will ruin you. So, Having praised God and aligned with His purpose and asked for Him to provide for you and to forgive you, ask for His spiritual protection so that you can return home again spiritually stronger and safe. That's the prayer. And number four, and we're nearly done, Jesus taught us also to be persistent. This is where most people struggle and fail in their prayer life. He told a little story. He said to them, which of you has a friend, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Bad news in our world, but especially bad news in that world. Then and now, the code of hospitality in this part of the world is rigid. Somebody comes to you for food and shelter, if they have a relationship with you, you are honor-bound to take them in and help them out. And what time did this guy show up? Midnight. No electricity back in those days, so this is a scary thing. And it's a one-room house. That's how almost everybody lived back then, and once they settled in for the night, mom, dad, and kids, they're all laying there together in this little house, and suddenly... I need a place to stay. I came a long way. I'm hungry. Can you help me out? Well, the answer might be expected. Verse 7, he will answer from within. The guy whose door is being knocked on. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Well, that's understandable because if anybody's ever had the, some knucklehead wake the kids up, that's a bad night, Right? And it's a one-room house. He's going to step over the kids, maybe step on one of the kids, and good luck getting everybody settled down after finding space for one more guy to eat and sleep. Here's the point of Jesus' story. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. His boldness, his bold persistence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. What's the point here? Don't be afraid to go to God when you're in trouble. He loves you. Jesus says in some friendships, you might someday have the kind of friend who wants to do nothing for you because it's inconvenient. But your heavenly Father is nothing like that. You can talk to God at any time of the day and in any kind of trouble because He's already up and He already cares. He knows all about your situation. He will never tire of hearing from you. And this is important because people who are, remember the name of this series is Growing Up, people who are still developing in their prayer lives and still in their first steps are sometimes put on a guilt trip because they talk to God when they're in trouble. And they feel guilt and shame that I've kind of been living my own life and ignoring God, and now I'm in a great deal of trouble, and I'm instinctively, naturally crying out to Him in prayer. I wonder if that's okay. Yes. Every parable that Jesus told about prayer always pictures someone in deep trouble who is in desperation calling out to God. And the point of comparison is this. This guy inside, not that great of a friend. A little selfish, frankly. Your father's nothing like that. He loves you. 
so you can be persistent, stay with it. And Jesus would also tell us to be specific. Look at verse 9. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Watch this comparison again. What father among you, remember he's speaking to men, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Do you think that would happen? A normal loving dad asks for a meal is not going to give his kid a snake, right? Verse 12, if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. That'd be a tough one. Dad, how about an egg salad sandwich? How about a poisonous, uh, how about a poisonous spider instead? Never going to happen. Look at the point of comparison, verse 13. If you then who are evil, in other words, you're sinful, imperfect dads. As dads, you're not perfect. You may not even be very good. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He wants to encourage us to pray and to be specific and to be persistent when we pray so that God will give us what He knows that we need. Here's the point undergirding, I think, all that Jesus ever taught about prayer. Prayer is a primary way for you to grow into a loving relationship with God. See, here's what so many people miss about prayer. When you continually show up and continually thank God for things and praise Him for things and ask His forgiveness and feel the relief that He has granted it and ask for protection and provision and every other good thing that you need in your life, when you do that day by day by day and you discover that He provides, you make this amazing discovery. You ask and He answers. Many Christians are not really aware of how much God loves them because he's such a good dad, he's doing things even without being asked. But when you ask and then he provides, you make the connection. Does that make sense? And good parents delight in giving their children things that are good for them and things that will bless them and make them happy. I did not understand until I was a father just how much better, Jesus was right, how much better it is to be able to give something than to receive it. To be able to give something to a child, someone who looks like me, God help my boys, but they do. And to know that's, that's my flesh, that's my blood right there. I remember when he didn't exist, but he's here now, and he's the apple of my eye. And to give him something that he wants so much that he's asked for it time and again, and finally we're able to put that in his hands, and he says, thanks, Dad, you're awesome. Man, I live for a day like that. And I love him just the same. What made the difference? He asked and I answered and we both know what happened here and our relationship grows more loving. Listen to James teach about prayer. You do not have because you do not ask. Did you catch that? You do not have because you do not ask. In other words, God in his sovereign plan has decided that there's certain things he's only going to give in response to prayer. And I don't know how that all fits together, but I can read 
The English Bible, you do not have because you do not ask. Here's the rest of it. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Many things that God would give, He waits to give. He will not give until His children wake up and ask Him. Or, in all they're asking, they're selfish, they have passions, they're not aligned with His kingdom, they're not aligned with His priorities, they're not putting Him and His character and His plan and His will first, so they don't get those things. You ever ask God for things that you later understood would have been terrible for you? There's an old country song, thank God for unanswered prayer, and I understand it in my 40s much better than I did in my 20s. I spent a lot of time in high school and the first few years of college asking God for all kinds of nonsense that would have ruined me had He given it to me. He loved me too much to give it to me. How do you work through the difference? You keep showing up. If you will persistently pray, if you will specifically pray, if you will start with what God wants and His kingdom first, your empire under His kingdom, you'll do what they called in the olden days praying through and your prayers will change. God's mind and heart as you listen to Him and His Word and He's talking to you and you're breathing in, if you will what he has to say, and then you're breathing out in prayer. He's talking, you're listening, you're talking back. You keep doing that day by day by day by day. Your petitions will change because you're being drawn into a loving, closer relationship, and then when your priorities align, then you have what you want. Here's some quick tips to get you started. First of all, have a regular time, place, and routine. If you don't have a regular time, place, and routine, you simply will not go very far and go very deep with God. Here's mine. Here's my perfect morning. I wake up about an hour before anybody else does, before anybody else wants to see me. I have coffee. It's very important. Vitally important to be, have the coffee because I want to be awake. I'm talking to God. And I have my Bible open, and very recently, I have this. I'll tell you about this in a moment. And that doesn't always happen. All kinds of humanity intrudes, and that perfect morning doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a great majority of the time, and day by day, we're growing closer. And you say, well, this is a relationship, you know, I don't want to get stuck on ritual, man if you were a surfer or something like that, had that, uh, had that stereotypical accent. I don't know why I did that. I apologize. That was unnecessary. Don't disdain rituals in a relationship. Long relationships run on the rails of rituals. People who are dear friends and spouses understand this. There are some things that they habitually do together that whatever else happens, whatever spontaneous, unplanned thing, these times that we've set aside to do certain things, these enrich our relationship and keep us moving from day to day and year to year. In my house, for instance, one of the rituals that keeps our marriage good is my wife has a much better day, and I have a much better day if I can put a hot cup of coffee with a great deal of half and half 
in a cup, not a mug, beside her bedside before she's fully awake. And it's also important that the mug be heated up, that the cup be heated up after the half and half is put in it because the half and half is cold and it kind of spoils the coffee. (laughs) These are things that I've learned. I was 45 seconds late and she was stirring and actually on her feet before the coffee was there. So I ran down the hall saying, no, 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 go back to bed, go back to bed, go back to bed, I got this, I got this, okay. And we both had a wonderful morning. Now, see, there's no duty, there's no drudgery, those kind of little rituals, and there's probably dozens of them, if I think about it, things that come back my way, that's our life together. If it were somebody else, if it's a relationship with you, that ritual doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. But these rituals that we have developed are vitally important to us, and so it is with the Lord. Secondly, keep a journal and put requests and answers and thanks in it. I began again with my journal yesterday. And this is a standard diary. You can get this in any office supply store. It's just a lined book with the the days of the month. And at the top, I started with praise. And here are the things I'm thankful, God, to you about for you and the things that you are doing for me. Here are my requests. And the most magical thing happened. As I disciplined myself to take a moment and write, I was reminded about all kinds of things that really, really matter that probably would have been forgotten if I would have just sat down and spontaneously prayed. The conscious effort of taking 30 seconds to think it through made all the difference in the world. And if you'll keep this journal, and I intend to, in a year, in your own little format, I've just gone from the book to my usual legal pad because a lot of the things I wrote down in my request have deadlines. There are things for my kids, people in our church, our family, our ministry together that have deadlines and decisions that have to be made and things we're not sure of today that we need God to provide. Well, six months from now, two years from now, if I just hang on to this thing, I'll know exactly how God acted. And I'll be able to look back and see His faithfulness say, well, show that to me in the Bible. It's everywhere. You read the Psalms, they're continually looking back, sometimes hundreds of years earlier, and telling the stories of Moses and of Joshua and of God's faithfulness. In fact, in Israel's life, when God did something big, they were often told to put a big pile of rocks at the spot. And what's the point of that? So that when your children, who weren't here on this day, when they look at the pile of rocks 30 years from now, they say, Daddy, what's that pile of rocks? Oh, well, that's the spot where God did this for us. And there is a teaching and a thankfulness that develops from generation to generation. Third, very important, deal with mental distractions by just jotting them down for later. Do you get distracted? Start praying. Father, it's so good to be here this morning. I'm a little anxious because today I have two difficult appointments and, oh man, we need half and half. I wonder if I should stop praying and just go to the store because she wakes up and there's no half and half. It's not going to be. You ever have these distractions? What do you do? You jot them down. What do you do when you're talking to a dear friend, you're talking to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, and you get distracted? You're in a restaurant and the drunks in the bar, somebody scores a touchdown, everybody goes nuts, you go like this, and you look back and she's looking at you like, really? That's all it takes? 
What do you do in that situation? You don't say, well, I got distracted. I guess we're done here. Check, please. No, what do you say? You say, I'm sorry. Where were we? Sorry, that was rude. What were you saying? And you just get right back with it. You're in a personal relationship with God. He's always paying attention. He knows that you don't always. Just jot it down. And fourthly and finally, keep at it. Remembering that it's a relationship, not just a regimen. We've been saying, stop trying in your faith and start training in your faith. But remember, you're training with a person. You're training for your Father. This isn't a religious checklist of things to do to make sure that your life goes well or so that God isn't angry. No, you're being welcomed into the most loving, forgiving, compassionate, gracious, amazing relationship that any human being could ever have on earth. So pray as Jesus taught us to pray, but remember that it's a relationship, not just a ritual or a regimen. I'd like to invite you to close our service together, praying together as Jesus taught us to pray. Here's the Lord's Prayer. Take a moment to remember, as Harry Brewer taught me, that you're speaking to the Father. We'll read it together, but read it to Him. Read it in address to Him, and then we'll pray privately. Let's pray as Jesus taught us. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Could I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and now talk to him just yourself? If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're speaking to your Father in heaven. If you're not sure about any of this, you're invited to have and to share the life of Jesus. He asks you, in fact, He commands you to ask forgiveness for your sins and be welcomed into His family. To turn away from your rebellion, your indifference, and say, Father, God, I'm here. Forgive me. I need you. Forgive me. Make me your child. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. What do you need to praise Him for? How do you need your priorities examined and ordered? What do you need? You can be specific. You can ask Him for what you believe you need. If, if He knows better, he'll, he'll teach you. What threats are around you and your family? You can ask for His protection. Father, if there's one here who doesn't know you, I pray that right now, by the grace of Jesus, their heart would be soft and open, and they would ask you, Jesus, for forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. I pray that they would do that now, that they wouldn't put you off and fight and be stubborn as I once was, that they would be tender and humble and ask you for eternal life. For those who know 
you as Father and relate to you no longer as a judge, but as their loving Heavenly Father with open, waiting, gracious, strong arms. Forgive us, Lord, for not showing up day by day. Thank you for grace and for the opportunity to begin again later today. And Jesus, we would say with your disciples, teach us to pray and thank you for having taught us to pray. We ask this and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.